This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bokertov, good morning. How are you? Bokertov, we're still thinking about the after effects of Rosh Hashanah. There's some interesting stories that have come out about uh, some of the things that happened over the long weekend that we had. And there was the story about the IDF chief of General Stav Herzia Levy uh, and his activities over Rosh Hashanah. Let's uh, just spare a thought for all of the IDF soldiers who've been on duty mm. over the Chagim, over Rosh Hashanah in particular. Um, and um, the IDF Je- chief of General Stav Herzia Levy um, lives uh, in a place called Kfar Ha'oranim, which is quite near to Modi'in, sort of on the Route 443, which runs past that area. And apparently on Rosh Hashanah, um, uh, Hertzi Halevi walked to a, a an outpost, a checkpoint, that was being manned by soldiers who were on duty over Rosh Hashanah, keeping Israel safe and sound. He walked along there, and he went to do a a service with the soldiers at the outpost, um, and he. Uh, the, the report says that he prayed the Shabbat and holiday service with the soldiers. They had a minyan, and they uh, they conducted prayers for Rosh Hashanah in the presence of the chief of general staff. He himself, Hutzia Levi, observes Shabbat, and so he wouldn't have gone there. He wouldn't have driven there. He walked there from his home, um, and apparently he joined a minyan of soldiers to pray for the holidays. And it also um, gave the report the opportunity to talk a little bit about the uh, preparations that were made by the IDF ahead of Rosh Hashanah. And it's just astonishing at the arrangements that had to be made. Obviously, a lot of soldiers were on duty mm, over mm. the long weekend. Um, menus had to be created ahead of time in order to um, give uh, good holiday food, hug food to the soldiers. Five and a half tons of apples were ordered for soldiers on duty, four tons of honey, ten tons of honey cake, twelve tons of salmon, five tons of pomegranates, fifty tons of beef, ten tons of chicken thighs, and 48,000 bottles of wine. That was the menu for the uh, soldiers on duty in the IDF over Rosh Hashanah which is quite astonishing to think about and just spare a thought um, for not only the soldiers on duty, but the people that have to prepare for them um, over the Chag holiday. Quite amazing. Absolutely incredible. And it's so, um, in a way, very uplifting to hear how those, it's not just the fact that they need to be physically safe, but that their spiritual needs are taken care of as well, making sure that they feel as home, as at home, and respectful of family traditions as possible, whilst still away from home, sometimes in very difficult circumstances. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And just another story mm. over Rosh Hashanah, not such a good story, is this one about the Ben-Gurion statue that has been on the beachfront for the last seven years. People who've been to the Tel Aviv beachfront will probably not be able to, not have been able to miss the statue is of the, uh, Israel's first yeah, prime minister. Doing a headstand, that one. Exactly, on ah, his head, yes. exactly, and apparently, this was a thing of his, he apparently told his daughter that he wasn't afraid of falling, and so he didn't fall, while managed to stand on his head, and this was a fam- one of the famous things about Ben-Gurion, and there was a statue along the beach um, showing him standing on his head, quite an iconic mm. uh, landmark it became over the last seven years, that was burnt out what? on Friday night, um, someone set fire to that statue and it was completely burnt out. Um, and of course, lots and lots of political comment about what the motivation would have been in this kind of uh, situation that we find ourselves in where there's so much politics going on and every action is uh, interpreted as being either an action by the right wing or the left wing as part of the judicial reform protest. Who knows what? In the end, apparently, it was um, a homeless man who was arrested for having set fire to that statue. We're not really quite sure what his motivation was, but apparently there were security cameras that picked up and um, the fact that this was the person who set fire to the statue. So I think it's very sad that we've lost that, although I have little doubt that it will be replaced pretty soon because it was really quite a popular landmark on the beachfront in Tel Aviv. And so I'm sure that in the near future we will see that return to its former glory. But um, yeah, a little, a little strange and a little sad. I, I actually think actually it's. I think it's one of the. I think it's an incredibly important story, actually, because isn't it a bit of a metaphor for what's going on in Israel right now? Is that a lot of the history and a lot of the beautiful things about the past are being burnt? Everybody is laying blame at the left or right, and in fact, it might have nothing to do with it. But uh, but the issues in Israel that simply need to be dealt with that people are uh, perhaps perhaps ignoring and focusing on the wrong things. Well, I think that's a good way of, of, of interpreting things. Um, obviously, um, there, there are issues in Israel with homelessness to some degree. The people who are homeless in Israel are mostly people who are mentally mm. unwell. Mm. They suffer from PTSD or whatever it is. I didn't there mean homeless as in, I mean, I meant them as part of a metaphor as well. I didn't mean that yeah, that absolutely. is the, should well, be the focus in Israel. I'm just saying that there are other, there are other things that you and I have spoken about that many, many, many the religious, non-religious respect for each other. All of those things I think are doing more damage to the fabric and to the history of Israeli society than necessarily politics is doing from a left or right perspective. True, true. Um, and, you know, there's the, always this famous uh, notion about uh, the Sinat Chinam, the mm-hmm. hatred that has been prevalent over the generations in Jewish history and what has uh, led what it has led to as a result of the, the hatred between people. And, of course, the destruction of the temple is one of the things that is held up as a result of hatred between people, lack of uh, coordination, lack of um, lack of conformity, lack of people working together um, to try and create a good society and instead finding uh, reasons to, to battle amongst each other and to find fault with one another. And this uh, baseless hatred, because Sinat Hinam really uh, refers to baseless hatred, um, is apparently one of the things that is held up as being the reason why ultimately uh, the temple was destroyed. Yeah, very, very... Uh 
uh, very significant indeed. Right, let's talk about this story because it is fascinating to me on so many levels. Prime Minister Netanyahu yesterday met with Elon Musk in California on the first leg of his U.S. visit. So I think it's so interesting from a Musk point of view, who's been accused of being anti-Semitic, even though I don't believe he is. He's took the opportunity to obviously meet Israeli Prime Minister to show that he's not, but also Netanyahu. It's just, tell us about this. Well, I'm not quite sure who took the opportunity Mm. to meet with who. Um, and I think that certainly for Prime Minister Netanyahu, it was a welcome distraction from many of the political issues that he's been having to deal with um, in recent months. Um, and there are some wonderful photo opportunities showing him at the Tesla factory in Fremont, California with Elon Musk. Elon Musk, I think, appropriately dressed for a tour around the Tesla factory. Prime Minister Netanyahu kind of less appropriately dressed, Mm, I think, mm. for a tour around the uh, Tesla factory. But um, what I really loved with this video is showing them on a little kind of cart thing that was being being driven around (laughs) the Tesla factory and security surrounding them. Mm. Um, This must have been the Prime Minister's security entourage nightmare of the century to accompany him around this Tesla factory and to try to secure him from all the possible threats that could have existed. But they were walking along this little, uh, almost like a, a train, like a golf cart train. I don't know how you yeah, describe Yeah, or like one you'd see at um, Disney World where you get on exactly. this thing and it goes through different uh, different uh, scenes, I suppose. Exactly. And I, I was just expecting to go through a tunnel at any moment, yes, you know, one of yes. those. Um, but anyway, they were having a discussion. Um, and, of course, an opportunity for the Prime Minister to, to be photographed in the new Cybertruck, the new Tesla Cybertruck, which is so new that it hasn't even been released yet. So this was really, um, a, you know, a, a, a photo of, of something that hasn't gone out yet. But apparently, on a more serious note, there was a discussion between Elon Musk and the Prime Minister about artificial intelligence and about the role of artificial intelligence. And the Prime Minister said two quite interesting contradictory things. The one was that he felt that he wasn't quite sure if Israel was keeping up with this artificial intelligence as much as he felt they should be. The other thing he said was that artificial intelligence has a certain risk associated with it. Um, But ultimately, I think they agreed that AI, um, artificial intelligence, as it's known, AI, is really the future. And uh, obviously, where Israel is concerned, the Israelis are very much involved in the whole development of AI. It's become a a, a real watchword in in recent months and years. Um, And he thinks that um, whereas it took a century for the world to adapt to the Industrial Revolution, these are the words of the Prime Minister, it took a century for us to adapt to the Industrial Revolution. We only have a few years to adapt to the AI revolution. Um, And so um, he's concerned about codes of conduct and ethics uh, and how AI is is being policed in a sense in order to keep it in its right place because, of course, this is a very powerful technology that could potentially get a little bit of a, out of hand. So the, really this was the discussion between Elon Musk and uh, the, the prime minister yesterday in Fremont, California at the Tesla factory. 
um, and of course Tesla uh, and of course Elon Musk, I think, did use the opportunity to try and free himself up from this uh, these accusations um, that are being leveled against him about being anti-Semitic. Um, he was um, quite ironic when he said he wants to sue the Anti-Defamation League for defamation because he feels that they've defamed him, um, and you know he he saw the irony in that. So he's still got that battle going on. Um, and, of course, Elon Musk doesn't shy away from a public battle if there is one to be had. He's not shy to, to be in the public eye and to make his, his uh, views clear. But um, the prime minister is now on his way to New York, having had that uh, photo opportunity moment and had meeting with Elon Musk yesterday. He's now on his way to New York. I understand that his address to the United Nations will actually take place on Friday. So um, that's now been determined, although I don't really have a time. But I'm guessing that it's going to be a relatively early address because the prime minister will want to ensure that Israelis are able to follow it before Shabbat comes in. So I'm guessing that it's going to be a relatively first thing in the morning time uh, in New York, uh, that address to the United Nations. And, of course, um, the much-anticipated meeting with President Joe Biden uh, I haven't seen a time or date that's been set down for that, but I'm guessing it's probably going to be sometime on Thursday. Um, but obviously, we're all waiting to see how all of that goes down. Mm. Yeah, that is uh, that. You know, I, I think that'll be more of a disappointment in truth. Uh, I think it'll just be uh, about the photo opportunity. But uh, who knows? Maybe I will be. Uh, maybe I'll be surprised at that. There were riots yesterday along the Gaza border, and that's for the third day in a row. What are these riots about? Well, the, the, there seems to be a return to this notion of just simply protesting along the Gaza border. We saw that happen previously, and now we've had a third consecutive day of riots, and we've also had um, days of riots until now. So in other words, it hasn't necessarily been consecutive, but over the last couple of weeks, we've had consistent presence along the Gaza border and riots, and this comes in spite of the fact that there was a drone deployed, as I said yesterday, against protesters along the Gaza border, that there were um, fires that were set to tires, and there were explosive devices that were um, uh, detonated along the security barrier yesterday. So clearly a very, very uncomfortable situation continuing along the Gaza border. Israel also attacked a Hamas outpost in response to those um, riots that have continued along the Gaza border. And it's not exactly clear what the motivation could be, because as a result of all of those uh, riots and the unrest that we've seen along the Gaza border, the Erez crossing remains closed to Gazan workers who have permits to come to work in Israel, but unfortunately are currently unable to do so because the security forces have closed the crossing. And just so that people understand, we're talking about 17,000 Gazans who have official work permits to come to Israel on a daily basis in order to work and to bring money back to Gaza, of course, in order to enhance the economy, who are currently being prevented from doing so as a result of this unrest along the Gazan border. And it's not really clear why Hamas would be trying to encourage this, because all of it seems to be really counterproductive. But it's concerning, uh, and it creates a very um, un a balanced situation, a very uh, a, a state of unrest along the Gaza border, 
which is not good. Some people have suggested that it's got something to do with the fact that Qatar, which has been a huge donor to um, Gaza over the last while, they've cut back apparently on monthly disbursements. I'm not sure if that's um, proved or not mm, because yeah. I think Qatar were wanting to bring their monthly disbursements and were unable to do so because of the unrest. So I'm not quite sure if one is which what is driving what in this particular situation. But apparently um, there was some suggestion that Hamas is trying to draw some sort of attention to the worsening living conditions in Gaza. Um, but, of course, the problem is that a, a lot of that is really down to their own actions rather than as uh, as being um, uh, given some sort of a, 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 a solution um, by the actions that Hamas is currently taking. So, unfortunately, things are a little tenuous along the Gaza border. And as I've said before, it's not good as we move into uh, further Chagim Yom Kippur next week and Sukkot after that, that we've got the situation. But clearly, the Israeli security forces are having to deal with it mm, in the mm. best possible way they can. Yeah, very, very uh, unpleasant indeed. Finally, a list of the most influential Jews in the world has been published. Who is at top of the list? Um, it was really surprising for me, I have to say. Yeah. Um, number one on the list of the most influential Jews, according to the Jerusalem Post for 2023, um, or for uh, the new um, Hebrew calendar year, is in fact Sam Altman. Now, for those people who don't know who Sam Altman is, he is one of the founders of OpenAI, and OpenAI is the company that has come out with ChatGPT, which of course uh, goes back to the whole artificial intelligence that we were discussing earlier. And apparently this has become such a thing in the technology world that uh, the Jerusalem Post decided that its founder or co-founder, Sam Altman, and he's currently the kind of the poster person of OpenAI and, and of ChatGPT, he apparently for now is considered to be the most influential Jew in the world. There has been no real speak of his partner, who also founded uh, OpenAI, which is um, 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 Ilya, uh, what's Ilya's surname? I'm sorry, I've forgotten. Ilya Sutskeva, sorry. Mm. Um, he's got a difficult surname. He's Russian-born. He actually made Aliyah with his family at the age of five and grew up in Jerusalem. And then he subsequently moved to Canada, and while studying at the University of Toronto and subsequently Stanford University, he met with Sam Altman and the two of them founded um, OpenAI, which is, as I said before, the uh, company that has produced ChatGPT, and and Ilya is actually the um, chief scientist of OpenAI, and so um, there's no real mention of uh, Ilya in all of this, but apparently Sam Altman is ahead of Prime Minister Netanyahu as the most influential Jew in the world. And just while we're talking about that, I thought I'd mention also that the Jerusalem Post have produced this list that they call the 25 visionaries. And the visionary is spelled V-I-Z-I-O-N with the emphasis on the Zion in the middle of the word visionary. And the number one visionary on this list of 25, according to the Jerusalem Post, is none other than Olga Michaud. Yeah, Olga Meshwe is amazing, which was very, very cool. I saw that on, uh, I saw that on social media. I thought that's absolutely incredible. It is incredible and it just shows to what extent she's really had 
influence and is considered to be a visionary in the Zionistic sense of the word. Um, you guys, of course, know her um, pretty well and you'll reach your own conclusion. But um, I think it was just interesting that she was mentioned there. Absolutely incredible. We were very, very proud indeed to see that. Uh, Anthony Rock, thank you as always. It is 8.01. Uh, we'll be uh, speaking to Anthony tomorrow morning at 7.45. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you are based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebluagency.com.